No, just kidding. All right. Well, good morning again. Good, morning. good to see you this morning. Um, we're doing a short series in the Psalms, as, uh, as you were made aware of uh, last Sunday, uh, as we head uh, into uh, uh, through the summer and looking toward the fall a few weeks, and then we'll be starting uh, First Timothy, a study there. But we're going through the, the Psalms, and I mentioned it's a bit of a global outreach Sunday. Um, it's, uh, it, it is not in a global outreach Sunday in the sense that we have a global outreach partner uh, here giving a report of their ministry, which is what we typically reserve Sundays like this for. But it is in the sense that, um, that uh, our psalm focuses on, on outreach, on, on missions, especially uh, evangelism among the nations. And uh, I think most of you know me uh, by way of, of quick introduction. Um, in case you don't know me or my family, there's a picture of my family there uh, with my parents. So my parents are the ones over there. And then the rest are uh, our kids. And so um, maybe if you didn't know, that's who they are. Some of you may be newer here, and uh, they're all over the place on Sundays. So you may not know who belongs to whom, but those, those are my people, my clan. So my name is Caleb Klontz. I'm the pastor of Discipleship Ministries here at Valley Bible Church. One of the hats that I wear in that role is overseeing our global outreach or our missions uh, program, and so um, it's something that is, is a passion of mine. It's quite close to my heart, and, and really it should be close to all of our hearts. I hope that it is um, because it's a thing, something that's close to, to God's heart. It's something that flows from the heart of God, this idea of, of missions, of the gospel going out among the nations and being proclaimed our God is a missionary God. The God the Father sent God the Son with a mission to seek and to save the lost. And he fulfills that mission through his life and his death and his burial, his resurrection. And before he ascends back to the Father, he leaves the church with a, a mission, something to fulfill the Great Commission, the call to make disciples of all nations. And so this is, at least in that sense, I hope something that you uh, get a little bit excited about. It's something that we should be excited about. For me, there's another reason that is particularly close to my heart, and that's because missions has been a part of my life since as long as I can remember. Um, if you were at my parents' 50th anniversary celebration yesterday, um, I know a few of you were, but you will have seen pictures of me growing up with my siblings in, in Bolivia, South America, uh, where we grew up. There, my parents were missionaries in Bolivia uh, from the time that I was, I think, three months old is when they went to the field um, until I was 15. But we grew up in that context as missionary kids. Linda also grew up as a missionary kid in Venezuela. She was born and raised down there. And when we were engaged and married, we, we were engaged and married while we were attending a, a Bible school out in Wisconsin that has a strong missions emphasis and though at that time I had no intention of serving the Lord as a missionary, I even told Linda that, hey, if you're looking to marry a missionary, because there are a lot of those people around there at the school, hey, don't pick me. And then God had other plans and took us to the field for 10 years. So be careful what, uh, what you wish for there. But uh, God had plans for us. And six and a half of those years as missionaries we spent in Italy, in the northeast corner of Italy. And when God brought us back to, uh, to the United States in 2014, it was in June, I think it was the 20th, the 22nd was a Sunday. We arrived in Chicago, and my dad, Mike Klontz, preached in this church on the 22nd. We weren't here, and I didn't know any of you back then. 
my dad preached. He was talking about missions. Our church didn't support them back then either, but they came through and then were as a local area rep for their organization. They preached. Um, but we didn't know any of you, but it didn't take long after we were back in the United States for us to find our home here at Valley Bible Church. And Valley Bible Church is a home for us. Pretty soon we were volunteering in various ministry capacities. And one of those was on our global outreach team being led by our missions team, I guess at that point, being led by Ed Matfeld, who was doing a great job. But then not long after that, because of some health reasons, he wanted to step away from those responsibilities and, uh, and asked me if I would consider taking over. And so I filled that role, global outreach, uh, overseeing that team, um, first volunteer, and then later on staff, as I came on staff here, among other things, as one of the pastors. And so I say all that to say that this is something that has been uh, quite close to my heart for, for most of my life, as much as I can remember of it anyway. We have uh, been we're raised as missionary kids, uh, attending a missionary training, supporting missionaries, being on mission teams uh, and, and committees, leading short-term trips, and, and then serving as missionaries ourselves. And so uh, it's something quite dear to my heart in a way that maybe it isn't to everyone's. But our text this morning, uh, Psalm 96, and, and as we, you can turn there if you want to already, we'll see as we look at it that it's centered on worship, but more specifically on worship among the nations. Missions is all about God's glory. It's about worship. John Piper said in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he put it this way, missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. But worship won't. Worship will continue. And so it's all about worship. Psalm 96 is also a messianic psalm. Uh, It looks forward at the coming of the Messiah, not as some of the psalms do, looking toward the suffering servant and his crucifixion, his first coming, but looking forward to his second coming when he comes as a righteous, faithful judge and king, which we will see as we move on this morning. And John Gill, the old Baptist commentator, uh, points out that the inscription in the Syriac version uh, of, of the, the text um, has this inscription that was the oldest text he had in his day, because that was before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and all of that. So uh, he was looking back at one of his oldest texts, and he saw this inscription that said this, A psalm of David, a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, and of the calling of the Gentiles that believe in him. Indeed, we see that that is true. That, that is not in the originals, uh, but, but that is a true description of this of this, uh, this psalm that we're going to read. And so I invite you, if you, uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, to, to stand with me to turn to Psalm 96, if you haven't already, and we will read it together as we begin our time. For this is the Word of the Lord for us this morning. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O peoples of the earth. 
or oh, families of the peoples, sorry, <laughs> that was from before. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word and the truths that we have just read. We thank you for that that truth, the promise of a coming king who will judge in in righteousness, in faithfulness. Lord, as we look at at the text here this morning, would you uh, just speak to each one of us, to the Holy Spirit, anything that we may need to to know or to to understand that we would be, be being built up and growing together as a body of Christ be transformed ever more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. In verses uh, 1 through 6, we begin with an exhortation to sing to the Lord, the Creator who saves. To sing to the Lord, the Creator who saves. Immediately we see this this, uh, threefold command to Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Well, we're told uh, three things about this singing to the Lord. The first is that it's a new song that is sung, that it is, is, is called directed to all the earth, a, a song that all the earth might sing, and that in so doing we are to bless His name. And so the first thing we see is, is that God's people sing. God's people sing. Singing is a natural way for us to worship God. It's the main way we see people worshiping God in the Bible. This was certainly true of the people of Israel. As Ben said last week, the Psalms, the the Psalter, this was the songbook for Israel, 150 songs. But there are more songs than that in the Scripture. There are some 200 if you include the Psalms uh, recorded for us. The word sing is used over 400 times 50 of those as imperative commands for us. Moses sang. David sang. Jesus sang with his disciples. Paul and Silas sang while they were in prison. When was the last time one of us had a chance to do that, right? The church is called to sing. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, we read, Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this is a a command for all of us. I want to call out, the man in the room particularly, because we seem to struggle with this the most. 
We are called, we are commanded to sing. The melody may only be in your heart. That's okay. This isn't a performance. You're not singing so the person in front of you or next to you turns around and goes, wow, great job. You're singing to the Lord as an act of worship and an act of obedience. And we are all called to do so with our voices. Yes, melody in our hearts. Yes, thankfulness in our hearts. But we're still called to sing. When it says a new song, it's not saying that we need the music team to teach us a new song every week. It's not saying Ben Daly's got to get up here and every week we've got to find a new song to sing because that would be confusing for all of us, I think, most of the time if we had a new song every week to have to, have to learn. Um, but it is, it is good for us to learn new songs, but that's not really the, the point here. Uh, it's a new song because each new day is another new day filled with the realities of God's grace and His mercy that have been poured out on us. It's a new day, a new opportunity for us to sing again unto the Lord. For the Lord's loving kindness indeed, kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, as Jeremiah writes in Lamentations. But it's also a new song because all of the earth is not yet singing a song of glory and worship to the Lord, is it? It's not. And so we look forward to this idea of all of the earth singing a new song in this call to worship. And as we sing to Him, we are to bless His name. And the word bless and and praise and sing and worship throughout the Psalms are, are synonymous, as Pastor Ben pointed out last week. But he also pointed out that there's a distinction for each of these, and particularly for this word bless. Um, that, that it's used as recognizing the many blessings God has given to us and returning that uh, blessing with praise to the Lord. And so the purpose of our singing and our worship is to bring glory to God by returning those blessings to Him, by recognizing how He has blessed us, and in response to that, singing to the Lord. The next thing we see in these first few verses is this call to Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, as we mentioned during our time around the Lord's table. Israel needed this reminder. We need this reminder, too, of his salvation. And so the idea to proclaim it, not just weekly, but day to day. The same words, uh, proclaiming uh, good news, are used uh, in Isaiah chapter 52, 7. They're used other places as well. But in Isaiah 52, we read this, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. The Apostle Paul quotes this in in, in Romans, uh, in uh, chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. He writes this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The Septuagint, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was used and quoted by the apostles in the New Testament, Um, It translates uh, this word here uh, with the word 
evangelion, or evangelizo, um, which means, well, we translate it as evangelize. Right? That's where we get our idea of evangelize, which simply put means to preach the gospel. Israel was to proclaim the good news and wants us to evangelize the nations that were around them by proclaiming these truths about God. And we are called to do the same thing. This is not just something for Israel. We see uh, just in, in a few verses that it says they're not supposed to just proclaim this good news to one another, but to tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all people. And similar language is used for us in the church. Mark chapter 16, where, where Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. May the words of our mouths, the sounds that come from our lips, be a proclamation of the salvation of God to those around us. That good news as we go out into the world. This doesn't mean that everyone is called to go overseas to some dark corner uh, of the world. Some of us may be called to do that. But we are all called to be involved in preaching the gospel to those around us. As a church, we're called to be involved, yes, to be concerned about the Great Commission, about reaching the nations, and that's why we support Global Outreach Partners. We have 17. 16 pictures are up on the wall. One we haven't gotten up yet, I don't believe, but we're, we're getting it done. They're, they're new. I visited them with Linda in Serbia when we were there, and they're a, a great couple, Novica and Tamara. But we serve them, and we, and we don't just seek to give them money. We want to support them. We want to encourage them. We want to pray for them. And we do so. And that's great. But we are all called to be at some level involved in this proclamation of the good news of salvation. In verses six or four through six, we see the reason why should we sing to the Lord? Why should we proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day? Why tell of his glory among the nations? Because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He is the creator. He made the heavens. He made the earth and all that dwell in them. All of the gods of the people, on the other hand, it says, are Idols, and that word idols mean non-existent things, good for nothing or worthless. And that's true of all of our idols, anything that we put in that place other than God. is worthless, good for nothing. And here's the thing uh, that's true about all of humanity. We are all worshipers. We all worship something. Everyone worships something. All of those things that we worship are idols if they are not the Lord. Mankind's nature, the human heart, the human mind, as uh, John Calvin puts it, is a perpetual factory of idols. We create one, we think we dethrone it, and we, we create another. We find something else to worship. Unless Christ and the Lord is in that rightful place of worship in our lives. And he alone is worthy of that, of that place. He alone is greatly to be praised. 
Splendor and majesty are before him, as our text says. Strength and beauty in his sanctuary. And so, as we'll see in the next verses, we are to give him the proper place in our worship. We are to give glory to the Lord, the King who saves. Verses 7 through 10, we see we are to give glory to the Lord, the King who reigns. Again, we will see, we see this threefold exhortation. The first one was sing to the Lord. Now we have ascribe to the Lord, repeated three times. Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. This call. The word ascribe literally means give. It can also be used synonymously with praise and worship and, and some of those things. But, but to, to give something or to attribute something to someone or to regard a quality as belonging to someone or something. In Revelation 4, 9 through 11, John describes the scene around the throne of God. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And will cast their crowns before him saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. The elders ascribed to the Lord God honor and power and glory. And when we ascribe Glory to the Lord. It's a recognition of His majesty and His beauty, His brightness and splendor, His holiness, all those attributes that He has that often are, are feeble attempts even at our, at our, uh, at our, from our part to try to express who He is and His holiness and His otherness. When we ascribe to Him strength, it is a recognition of His power to do all that He wills. He is able to do all that he desires and wills. He will do his good pleasure. It's a recognition of his sovereignty over all things. When we worship the Lord with recognition of who he is, we worship him rightly. When we worship him with recognition of who he is, we worship him rightly. We are to ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name, His name is glorious. And we know the day is coming when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our passage continues, bring an offering and come into his courts, worship the Lord in holy attire, or as some of your translations probably better render it, in the splendor of holiness. This isn't talking about coming in with our Sunday best. It's talking about his glorious attire, the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. He alone is worthy to receive our worship, and we ought to worship him accordingly. The picture here is not of entering into the temple. The picture here is entering into the court of a king, the king, the king above all kings. This morning we, 
We sang to the Lord, and so doing, we attributed things to his name, especially when we sang this last song, he reigns, right? The Lord Almighty reigns. We ascribe to him those things which are due his name, and we proclaimed that he reigns, which is exactly what we are called to do in verse 10. We're not just called to, to do that in our worship on Sundays. We did that here, and that's good. We're called to do that, not just here, but we're called to do that among the nations. This verse, in verse 10, we see the instruction, Say, among the nations the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So we are to declare his reign among the nations, not just his salvation, but his, his reign, that our God reigns. And this is indeed good news. It's a good reminder for us. The Lord reigns. Do you believe that today? Despite all of the political turmoil and upheaval, despite what you might read on the news, despite wars where governments and, and leaders are trying to take territory and people or, or whatever it may be, despite governors who are creating you know, proclamations or edicts or, or laws in their, in their states or, or their provinces that are contrary to, to God's word and his will and the things that we know that are good from God's word, Despite all of those things, He reigns. He reigns above all of that. For He, that's God the Father, raised Him, God the Son, from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. From Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Brothers and sisters, this is good news for us. When oceans roar amidst the flood, above the storm, as we sang, he reigns. Just as a bit of an aside, listen, we don't make Christ the Lord of our life. He is the Lord. You may bow the knee or you may not bow the knee, but he is still the Lord. And one day every knee will bow. So we recognize his lordship and that is right that we should do so. But we do not make him Lord. Not only does he reign, but Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. Our text says that the world is firmly established and it will not be moved. It is Christ who holds these things together, we know from Colossians chapter 1. Again, good news. And then lastly, he will judge the peoples with equity. Equity is a, is a bit of a buzzword for us in our culture today. A lot of people talking about equity. It's, it's not an unimportant thing. Simply put, it means, it means justice or fairness, uprightness. But guess what? Try as it might, the world will never be able to get equity right. They will never be able to get equity right. We won't. It's not saying we shouldn't try for it, but we can't get equity right. Do you know why? Because equity requires a just judge, 
a righteous king. And we don't have one. Not here on earth. The world does not submit to the one that does exist. But there is a cause for rejoicing. For the coming of a just judge is good news. And we'll see that coming as we look at this last portion of our text for us this morning. Verses 11 through 13. We see a call for all of creation to rejoice for the Lord is coming. To rejoice for the Lord is coming. In verses 11 and 12 we see personification of nature that is the, the attributing of, of human attributes or actions to something that's not human right does do the fields actually sing well yeah we can you know the the wind runs rustles through the through them or, or whatever right these things but this is the idea is that that all of a creation even rejoices and we'll see that here it's not actually an imperative it's adjusted but it's still a, a strong desire or a, or a call for all of creation to to rejoice says this, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. This is not the present reality, is it? It's all of creation rejoicing. No, we see the present reality is that all of creation groans. In Romans 8, 18 through 22, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be, or also will be, set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Creation groans, but it it looks forward with hope, confident expectation, longing toward the coming of Christ, the coming of a king who will make all things right. And then, it says, looking forward again, our passage continues, then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. Why? For He is coming. For He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. The the world longs for, the earth longs for, the coming of a faithful king who will judge the world with righteousness. Who will set things right again. And he is coming. He is coming. This is a cause for much rejoicing. If creation looks forward with this kind of eager anticipation, how much more should we, those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, those who are redeemed, not look forward to that coming? with great anticipation and joy. Not only is this coming a cause for us to, to rejoice, but in this psalm, judgment is seen as being positive. It's, it's a reason for God's people to rejoice along with creation. For us, because we don't have to face the wrath of God, His judgment. Because Christ has done so for us. 
But there is a world out there around us, people who do not know Christ, who do not proclaim him as Lord. There is a world that's not in the same position as we are. They don't worship him as creator or as king. And we are called here in this psalm to, to tell them, to proclaim good tidings of his salvation, to tell of his glory, his wonderful deeds, to say to the nations, the Lord reigns. He does. So he's saying he will not be moved. So in a bit of a summary and conclusion, we see these, these points we've already seen here in the psalm, that we are to sing to the Lord, the creator who saves with our voices. And we're called to give glory to the Lord, the, the king who reigns. To rejoice. Why? For he is coming. And lastly, to proclaim the good news to the nations. Because all these things are in that context. That we are called to do those things. Not just here among the nations. And for the Jews in that time, the nations was anybody that was outside of the people of God. For us, when the the New Testament talks about Gentiles sometimes, it's not talking just about everybody that's Gentile. That's all of us. But we're called to, uh, it's often in the New Testament, it's talking about those who are among the nations in the same way, those who do not believe in Christ, those who are not a part of the church. We're called to share the gospel with them. So yes, the word is nations. It's, it's other nations that are around the, the world. But it's also all the people that God has brought, some of them from other nations, into our lives. And there are many. And so for most of us, this doesn't mean moving across the world. It doesn't mean embracing a new culture, learning a new language. In fact, for most of us, it means staying right where we are at. Because God has surrounded you with people who don't know Jesus. In your own families, in your workplaces, the people you do business with, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in the stores where you shop, those cash registers, cashiers, bag people, the computers that you use to check out your junk. No, not them. But the people, right? The parks where you play. There are people all around us that desperately need to know about the salvation that is found in our King who reigns. They need to know. But that said, there, there are some of you who God may be laying on your heart to go and serve overseas somewhere. He may be burdening you with a people group somewhere, a place where the gospel is not known, where Christ's name is not proclaimed. If that's you, we'd love to talk to you about that. Talk about what next steps may be. I know we've got a couple of our young people heading off to the same Bible school that Linda and I went to. And it's a missions-focused Bible school. There's a chance some of them would come back and say, hey, we want to go and serve the Lord somewhere overseas. And we want to talk to you. We want to support you in that. We want to be a part of that as a church that is excited about the Great Commission. But it also happens here. So whether we stay or go, wherever we are, we are all responsible for how we respond to the command that we have to proclaim good news and to make disciples that is our task for every single person in this room in closing we we want to make you aware of a a, a need a unique opportunity that has presented itself uh, due to a number of factors um, that we can share more about in detail but there's kind of a unique situation with one of our our global outreach partners elio and nicoletta in trieste 
Italy, uh, they find themselves in a position where they need help. They need somebody to come alongside of them in ministry and to help them in the ministry there. There's a, a leadership deficit for them. They need help. Our elders have talked with them about that. We have Stuart Rowell, who is also in that part of the world, uh, in Central Europe and the Balkans, who is, is coming toward the end of his ministry. And he has been for us a, a connection point, really a lifeline between us and and the, the national partners, the first culture, that's the correct term, partners that are serving uh, in some of these places uh, in the Balkans and in Poland and Slovakia and Serbia and others that we have uh, begun to nurture relationships with and have helped from time to time in ministry. And this, this need is, is unique. And as we prayed about it, um, we've just, Linda and I have felt that we're uniquely fitted for this ministry and this need. We've prayed about it with the elders of Violet Bible Church for, for a while, um, and we has, have, as we have prayed about that, come uh, to the conviction that a wide door has opened for us for effective service in, the, in, in Trieste and in that part of the world, Lord willing, with, uh, with our First Culture partners there as well. We love Valley Bible Church. This is our home in a way that no other home ever has been for us. This is our church. You are our family in a way that we have not had a family, spiritual family like this. And so it's been a, a challenging thing for us to pray over and to consider. And yet Linda and I have, have always told the Lord that we would serve him wherever we can be most used for his glory. I pray that that would be the prayer for each of you as well, that you would serve him wherever he can be used for the glory. So we're not leaving tomorrow. We're not leaving next week, next month, okay? We're, we're looking at about a year from now, making a transition in ministry during that time. And so I'm still a pastor on staff here. I'm not leaving right now. Um, all that needs to still be determined, but that is a, a decision that we have made to pursue that direction uh, with the blessing of the elders of Valley Bible Church. A lot has to happen between now and then. We have support to raise. We have visas to obtain. There are a lot of things. But during that time, we'll still be here and still be on staff. But we wanted to let you know that. Um, that is how we believe that God has called us to respond to this command that we find here. And we are all called to respond to how we believe the Lord has called us. And so if you'd like to follow that journey, you can email me. We'd love to get you on an update list. Then you can come uh, already. But uh, uh, we've got a, a list at the, uh, at the welcome counter. I believe there was a clipboard there. You can put your name and address on, email address, if you'd like to follow along with us. Uh, in this journey, it will be a journey. There are a lot of things still to consider, um, but just wanted to let you know. Thank you very much. Good handling of the text this morning. Great message. Thank you. And Linda's up here as well. Um, this is what a rare and wonderful opportunity for us as a church to send out one of our pastoral staff onto the mission field. And so we're excited about this. It's no, this doesn't come as a surprise to many of you. If you know Caleb and Linda in conversations Italy comes up, Italian culture, the Italian language, Italian wine, Italian food. <laughs> That's the real reason. Anyway, uh, but Italy is something that they ha has been a part of their life, just as Valley Bible Church has been as well. And so we've even talked about um, the unique relationship that we're going to have. We're going to keep his office here. He's still going to be on staff. <laughs> <No. laughs> but uh, we have a year for them to prepare uh, for what is next, for them to prepare their children, uh, to sharpen their language skills, raise support, all of those things, and a year for us as a church to prepare as well. But um, it's exciting. In 
the church in Jerusalem, they saw needs. They would send uh, their people out. The church in Antioch, which was the great sending church, same thing. They saw needs throughout the world, and the Holy Spirit tabbed those who were to go uh, to those places, and willingly they sent them. And that's the way it's always been done throughout all of church history, and we're just doing what God has called us to do. So we're excited for that. I'm going to pray for them. You can talk to them afterwards, so pray with me, please. Thank you, Father, for Caleb and Linda and for the great ministry that they have here at Valley Bible Church. They're a team. Uh, They are not replaceable, and we thank you, Father, that you will bring uh, those who uh, will fill the holes of ministry that will be there. Thank you for them, and we pray that in the next number of months that you'd prepare them, prepare their children. Would you prepare the the Italian people that they will come in contact with, with the city of Trieste in this new church plant? Would you be working in hearts even now that the Spirit of God would be drawing people, that there would be new conversations with Caleb and Linda and even their children to draw them to Christ, that we'd see the, the, the ministry and the gospel just take root in that place that is very dark. So we leave them in your hands and Valley Bible Church, and we look forward with great joy to seeing what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.